Welcome to another episode of the Pleasantly Persistent Podcast put on by Rooted Food Sales. Here was co-host Christy McGill. And today we have actually a fellow podcaster, Alex Baer, uh, a founder of Genius Juice. And we're really excited to have Alex on today. So I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys right. doing? Good to see you, Alex. We are well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Well, welcome and thank you for joining us. Have you met Christy before? Uh, I don't think only by email, but uh, nice to meet you, Christy. Nice to meet you as well. So, uh, yeah, we're doing a good old home and away. Joining Alex last week on your podcast, 15 Minutes of Genius. So just for the fun of it, so the segment you did, which I thought was, what do you label? Like the rapid fire questions? Rapid fire questions. Are you going to throw it back at me? <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the I, I have to. I, so I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time. Um, and that is what I, I love that little segment. I find it to be, it's just fun to learn some interesting stuff about people that have nothing to kind of do with the general topics of the podcast. Yeah. People, you know, it's people opening up more personal. That's what it's about. Totally. So, all right, coming your way. What is your, well, it's different where you live, but what is your favorite season? Oh, we're doing this now. Okay. Oh, yeah, we're good. We're, that's the only difference. We're going to start from the beginning. Just, just, just for you. What's your, yeah, we're going to start with it. Okay. So the, the podcast like just started. This is oh, the beginning. We're good. We're in it. Oh, we're already in it. We're okay. In it. I had no idea. I didn't know we were starting already. All right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. So um, first question again. What is your favorite season? Fall. All right. What is your favorite? It might be, you might be wearing it on your head. Uh, what's your favorite brand that's not yours? Hugh. Yeah. De- 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 deeply obsessed. Uh, what is your favorite beverage that's not yours? GT kombucha. Mm-hmm. Do you, the majority of the time, have lunch in front of your laptop or not in front of your laptop? Not in front. Mm-hmm. All right. And I'm sneaking in one more. Um, average length of your lunch uh, away from your laptop? I would say about 30 to 40 minutes. Yep. That's healthy. That's good. Uh, all right, cool. Well, thank you there. So tell me, let's start there. That's very interesting to me. So what is like, what is your break? I know every day is a little different, but overall, what is, what is break times look during the day and like that 30 to 40 minute lunch break away from the laptop? Like, what does that usually entail? And like, what's important for you as breaks during the day? Yeah, I mean, I would say like just getting my mind off of uh, business. I mean, I think it's important to get away a little bit and uh, recharge and reset. So I go on walks whenever I can. I live in a beautiful complex. I mean, it's an old complex, but it's, you know, the buildings are not great, but uh, the plants and the trees are great. So I try to get some sun and uh, just get some nature in and uh, take some deep breaths, um, you know, take in the air. And so I do that usually on my lunch break. I also like to walk after eating. I think that's very healthy for digestion as well. Um, otherwise I'm, if I cannot get out, I'm literally 
uh, either answering maybe an email or two. Yeah, so you said laptop and not phone. So I might have my phone in my hand or I'm just watching YouTube videos or comedies um, to kind of keep the mood lighter. Um, I also like to study golf tips as well. There's plenty of it on YouTube. YouTube is the ultimate teacher of golf. You don't need to pay anymore to hire a instructor for $400 an hour that coached Tiger Woods in 2008. Uh, you know, you can just literally look it up on YouTube and learn a lot of uh, uh, tips and techniques on golfing. I feel, like, I feel like you can learn almost anything on YouTube now. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's all free, which is also insane because uh, it's, it's hard at, when something is so good and useful. How the hell is it free? But it is. Yeah, yeah. Do you go? Uh, do you go use golf balls like the those? What do they call them? Like four A, like the used golf, like the super like fancy used golf balls, or do you get the new ones? Oh, I get the new ones because it does affect your play. Uh, used golf balls, you don't know where they've been. They yeah, could have been, been in water. Yeah, they could have been in like a very uh, you know very dense, moisturous you know, environment, which kind of expands the ball and doesn't make it the same. Also, you know, when balls have scratches on them, it does affect the putting and it does affect how long it stays in the air. These are all super detailed things, but you know, you, you basically, when there's a scratch on a ball, you get rid of it right away. Cool. It's like the bougie way to play golf. Yeah. 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 I, I love it. All right. What are your, you guys, I don't believe we're at Expo East. What are your thoughts on the big the big trade shows. Uh, do you do you have you participated over the years? What are your what are your thoughts on trade shows? I think uh, it's interesting. I think trade shows are good for two types of companies: ones that are emerging and new and really wanting to make an impact and connect with more buyers, connect with more investors. Just really kind of do a an unveiling or debut, right? I think that that's that's where it's really good for a brand. The other side that's good is for mature brands that just need to make an appearance and remind people, oh, hey, here's a new product line or here's our branding or here's an updated label or packaging. I think for brands such as Genius Juice or you know, Remedy Organic or Koya or Rebel and all these brands that are right next to us in the set that are doing you know, 1 million to 100 million, I don't think it's necessary to have a booth there. Um, I think you can get a lot more done at a trade show when you don't have to be nailed down by a booth and you can just freely walk around. You can have meetings and, you know, that's why I have a cooler, right? You just bring out your product. Um, so I just, I believe that the trade shows have gotten much too expensive. I think there's way too much noise. I think it's less likely a buyer is going to find you because there's so many booths. Um, so it's not the same opportunity it used to be, but it's a great trade show to walk. Mm -hmm. I hear that. And I guess distributor shows, same same kind of answer. I mean, sometimes you're kind of forced into them or especially early on with distributor shows. So same thoughts there or slightly different? Uh, I think it's slightly, slightly different because at a distributor show, it's more about getting orders. It's more like straight to the point, like, hey, you know, here's our product line. We have a deal going on right now. Would you like to bring it into your store? Do you like it? Okay, great. You like it. Let's do a BOGO deal. Let's do a buy two, get one. Let's do 20% off. I think you're doing a lot more wheeling and dealing at these shows versus Expo. It's more like window shopping in a way, like just kind of for show and glitz. 
Um, so, you know, the Unify shows are kind of pricey, you know, they're 4,000 or $5,000, but if you're doing a show that's in your backyard or near your backyard, um, it may be worth it. Yep. Got it. And then, um, random question, as I see you standing, what's your standing percentage for a sitting percentage? Uh, well, since I redid, you know, the baby room slash office, um, I put in the standing desk and I'm standing, um, you mean in working or just in general yeah. working. working? Um, I'm standing most usually about 70% of the time. If I'm, if I'm like working on like a spreadsheet or something very detailed where I have to kind of hone in, I will sit down. But for a lot of my meetings, Zoom meetings, email work, all that stuff, I'm standing up. And you know what? It feels a lot better. So stand up tasks. I love it. Uh, Christy, I'll sneak in one more and then I'll, I'll, I'll step back and let you jump in. Shark Tank, like the people are so obsessed with Shark Tank. Do you bring that into a buyer meeting? Like, will you find a way to like mention that knowing it could spark someone or do you kind of leave it alone? And if it gets brought up, great. Oh, no, we we milk it for all that we yeah. can, for sure. Um, especially with a buyer meeting. I like to mention that, you know, we get re-aired all the time on ABC or MSNBC. So that just pushes a lot of people to the store. Um, I also like to mention a lot of people don't mention this, you know, or, or you know, when they, when you present to a buyer that, you know, email list, you know, if you have a large email list, like we do, like, you know, we just got two new flavors into our, not, they're not new flavors, but two new flavors to them into Sprouts nationally are mocha and vanilla cinnamon. We're going to be sending out an email blast to all of our subscribers, you know, tens of thousands. Go to your local Sprouts, check out the new flavors. It's an everyday low price, blah, blah, blah. So I think like anything you can do to market your product and push people to go to the store to support the retail relationship or partnership is going to be really valuable. So usually, though, it's brought up automatically. Um, yeah. Most buyers especially know if you've been on Shark Tank, but I always put it into a slide in our deck. Yeah, it, it just always. makes sense, that answer. Yeah. yeah. It can't hurt and it could very well help. Totally. Alex, how big is your team now? Our team is pretty small. You know, I mean, we're we're like a small and mighty team. We have roughly about 10 people on our team. Um, you know, we have a few salespeople. We have, you know, on the East Coast and also West Coast. Uh, we have a couple operations people, a couple admins, a general manager. So we just like to keep it very tight knit. So are you guys, is everybody working remotely? Are some people in shared office spaces or what does that look like? Yeah, everything is pretty much remote at this point. I mean, uh, I like to say uh, we're OG. We've been remote even before the pandemic. Uh, we knew that was the way to work even before it was the preferred way to work um, because we feel like we want our staff to be happy. We want them to be at home, you know, with their pets or with their kids or with their spouse or just like they're going to have a better energy and feel better about life and and uh, by having remote work um, or working remotely, I should say. The only issue with that is there's not as much of a work-life balance. So like your personal life or your work life seeps into your personal life. Yeah, I think uh, that that's like, the, that's the one that's the one nuance of the, like the work from home. It's often touted as it's giving people an incredible work-life balance, which it is, but I think it's made it 
in some ways much trickier for people to step away. You know, it's, I'm always surprised by like how much, if I was in an office, I would just leave, right? You know, you'd be like, oh, it's time for me to go home. I've got to go. But when you're at home, you're more apt to go. I'll give myself 15 more minutes or 30 more minutes, which isn't always a bad thing, but it, it definitely does bleed a little bit more, I think, into all elements of your life. I was, you know, now, now knowing how long you guys have been remote, you know, how do you build company culture together? Like, what does that look like for you guys in terms of kind of, you say you're close knit. So how do you kind of keep that close knit group through being all remote? Yeah. Um, just to take one step back, um, before starting genius juice, I was, um, in insurance. So I helped, um, manage an office. Um, I was kind of like a manager in training for a while. And then I was an account manager and I was like, I wasn't the top person, but I was in the top five. And I always worked from home and I hated going to the office. And honestly, um, my boss, or I call him like more of my market manager, um, he just said, the more that you're in the office, the worse, because you're selling. You should be out in the field selling, seeing people. And so I've always learned, you know, from when I graduated college, going straight into insurance, into sales and management, that like, I've always been working from home. So this has never been weird to me, even though it's weird to other people. What I will say one thing is that like, you know, when you're working from home, it's better. It's better during the day because you can take breaks. You can hang out with your kids. You can go for a run, you know, go into the range for an hour and hit some golf balls, you know, during your break, whatever that is. The problem is at night. That's the problem is like, you're so used to working from home that at eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, you're answering emails. And I mean, one thing that I've noticed, I'm sure you've noticed too, is that there's no barriers anymore to when to send emails. That That's actually, so that's really fascinating because I feel like that's been a definite shift. It was sort of shifting pre-COVID. It almost, but it's really shifted now. I mean, when I started, I remember it was, it was sort of considered rude, right? To send an email to anyone after a certain time of day, which Not I don't anymore. think people don't see that anymore. And in, in some ways it's almost worn as this badge of honor. Like I'm sending this email at 9 PM. Look at me working so hard. Um, but it's interesting because I find that to be, it can be very disruptive, right? If people have not set things up with turning off notifications or whatever, when you hear that ping come in and then you see it and you're like, Oh, it's from so-and-so I should look at that right now. And now you, you have transitioned yourself into that working space and they've sort of invaded your personal time. I'm a big fan of schedule sending. If I'm writing emails at, at 9 p.m., they're probably being schedule sent so you, for the next day. Yeah, it's probably a better way to do it. And uh, I'm probably just too lazy to do it that way. Um, so, you know, if it's like a buyer or someone like really with a position of power um, or position of making decisions, I'm extra careful. I'm like, okay, I will send that, you know, nine to five. Uh, yep. But if it's someone on my team, if it's like a vendor, if it's a um, even a co-packer, you know, like even our, our co-packers are like 11 o'clock at night because they work 24 seven, right? They're, they're, they're making product 24 seven and they may be in the facility overnight. Yep. So I think it's good to be cognizant of it, but like, I think as long as you don't anger the person and they're okay with it. Um, and you know, email is something that you can turn off as well. Like, and you know, it sort of does, I mean, I think it does lie in the hands of 
the individual receiving it to have set the boundaries themselves to protect yeah. their personal time, right? No one is requiring, no one sending an email at nine or 11 o'clock is expecting you to reply. So if you are doing that it's sort of on you and maybe the own, your own boundaries that you've set with yourself and with your work life, and also not needing to feel the need that you should have to jump and answer that email at 9 PM. But I think a lot of people come from a culture where they would feel like they need to answer that. And it, you know, spins them down their own personal journey of feeling inadequate or feeling like they must respond right then. Yeah. It's kind of a, depends on the individual, you know, and, uh, I think it really, you know, it's like you can't control what's around you, but you can control how you react to what's around you. I'm a big believer in that. I mean, both in work or when I play golf, it's like you do a shitty shot. Okay, just control how you react to it. Move on to the next shot. And it's the same thing in business. Like if something bad happens, whether it's your fault or not, how you react and handle it and then learn from that when you transition to the next move is the most important thing. Like shit's going to happen. Things are going to go wrong. You're going to, you know, blow money or lose money on something, or someone's going to leave your company that you really love working with, or the deal you thought was going to go through does not go through. What's most important is the next move. Um, one other thing I, you know, we're nerding out on email and I think this is so important, like fun and important Please. is that I love sending later, like, especially if I want to get to an East coast person, like right when they wait, like, you know, when they get to work, I'm not going to send an email out at four in the morning. So they get it at seven or eight. So that's another reason I kind of send it the night before. And I figure like, if I send it at 9 PM, they're going to be probably asleep by midnight, right? East coast time. And then when they wake up in the morning, they'll get the email and we'll be, the, we'll be at the top of the box. And I've, I've actually found that email is a total disaster right now in general, like, like people miss emails all the time. You have to hit, you have to send two or three emails. You know, this Matt, like being a business owner, just to get someone to respond to you. And it's not like they're ignoring you. It's just, they have so many emails that come in. So if you can like find a way to get to them when they're not being distracted, that's really, I think, you know, get to them without pissing them off or invading their personal time. Like I would never send an email on a Sunday, but I will send an email on a Saturday morning because people are working on Saturday and they're not going to get upset at you. They get an email on Saturday. So yeah, anyway, that's I, my, that's kind of my stump speech on emails. Yeah. I, I hear all of that. Um, so like, do you guys have a Slack channel in your world? And like, what's your, what's your cadence to like have everyone not feel on a lonely remote Island? Yeah. So going back to the question on the, the company culture, um, I do my best to have at least a quarterly meeting. I should have more, at least like a monthly meeting. And then we also like to have get togethers as well. But the problem is there's people from all over the country and some people that are not even in the, in the country. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, usually about once a quarter or more, I'll do a meeting at a WeWork and I'll just bring as many people as possible, investors, board members, um, you know, people from our team, our staff, you know, partners, and just get everyone in one room and the, objective of that meeting is not to like go through like bullet points, but to yeah. get to know each other and do strategy and planning. That, that's the best way I found to build the company culture. Uh, we do have a Slack channel as well. And I, what I really like, I, you know, half my team was like Slack. We, do we really need another texting like messaging service? I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes. because do you really want to get a text from me at eight o'clock at night when you're with your family? 
because I will be doing that because I am an owner and I am obsessed. I have, I have OCD, productive OCD, which yeah. all owners need to have and CEOs need to have. But if you're on Slack, you can just turn it off. So you totally. can be separated from texting. Totally. So I love it. Yeah. Uh, uh, last question. So I'm very, very curious. So Friday Vibes, 15 Minutes of Genius, and just your general LinkedIn presence. How's it affecting the business and uh, with your enjoyment of it? And yeah, how's it, how's it incorporating and affecting your, your world? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it was a lot of work to get going. You know, it's like putting in all this extra time to build, you know, to build the presence, build the podcast. Um, and me and Wade with Friday Vibes, we've been at it for, you know, eight or nine months now, you know, so it hasn't been like a short project um, or a short venture, I should say. But um, number one, it helps the community. You know, that's, that's what's big. Like, that's kind of the North Star here is that any founders tuning in, any CPG people, any business people, or just if you're in a totally different industry and you want to just find out more about CPG, um, it's just a fun podcast to listen to. And it's it's like part of my calling. Like, it's like, enter, I like to entertain people. I don't want to be like a comedian, but I do like to entertain people and like also give knowledge at the same time. So community is great. And then the other side is it really helps build the genius brand. I mean, it really does. It reinforces it. You know, I usually wear the genius swag. Um, and also I get to connect with investors and buyers and people that could help me down the road. So I'm helping them by bringing them on my show. And in turn, down the road, they could help me or the brand. Yep. I love it. Actual, actual, actual last question here. I'm super curious. What's a good score for you in golf? Yeah. Uh, you sound like me where I'm like, okay, this one is my last question. I, I do that like four, I do like that four I, times. I, I, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too curious. Yeah. Well, I mean, my uh, score in golf, I would say, I mean, this is my, this is my hand is I can't even see it, but my handicap yes. is about 13.7. So if, you know, 13.7, which is over 72, if I'm getting like an 86. Yeah, it's good golf. I, I'm totally happy. Totally. Like if I'm playing half pars and half bogeys, I'm totally good. But there are some very hard courses out there. Um, yeah. LA has some very hard courses and I like to challenge myself. If anyone wants to be totally challenged and play on a course that will totally kick your ass, like you'll leave being like, I get, I just got my ass kicked, but you learn how to hit straighter, how to get more accuracy, how to hit further, how to hit shorter, whatever you need to do. It's very calculated. Um, it's called industry Hills and it's in the city of industry. And there's two courses, there's babe and there's Ike. Those are the actual names of the courses. And Ike is actually named after President President Eisenhower. His nickname was Ike because President Eisenhower used to play on that course. So a lot of celebrities play there. It looks like a private course, but it has public prices. It's like 65 bucks to go. Oh. A really, really good price. Beautiful course, but incredibly challenging. I mean, I got my ass handed to me last weekend playing there. But yeah. It's fun. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, cool. Well, thank you very, very much for joining us. We appreciate it. You got it. Thank you for having me on.